Welcome to the Sports Fan Radio Podcast. In today's episode, we speak with former Western Bulldogs champion Brad Johnson. Johnson played 364 games for the Bulldogs and had a star-studded career where he had All-Australian selection, club best and fairest, and captained the club. He's also a member of the Fox footy commentary team and, with his wife, founded Xena Sport, a company that makes protective vests for women playing sport. Special guest today, Australian rules legend, Brad Johnson. Brad, I might just go through a little bit of your history first before we start talking with you. 364 games for the Western Bulldogs, a club record, taken 11th in the 1993 draft. I did a little bit of research on that, Brad. Melbourne had the 10th pick. I'm a uh, mad Melbourne supporter. Just like to apologise that we didn't take you. Still, who knows what your career, how your career would have turned up with uh, the train wreck that was Melbourne. One of the Western Bulldogs' best and fairest three times. Five times a leading goal kicker for the club. Six All-Australians, including captain of the All-Australian team. Four years captain of the Western Bulldogs. In the Western Bulldogs team of the century. My goodness, that is really some career. And now in media, my question for you is, over that journey, over 30 years in the sport, were you full-time when you started? Yeah, look, it's uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the introduction too. It's uh, Look, I know the whole Melbourne side of things. My wife's family are all mad Melbourne. So I understand <laughs> the passion right there. And, and did, did I covet, uh, well, during the last quarter of the grand final last year, they were a bit quiet for, for two and a half. Uh, then they started to get going, and in the last quarter, full of joy, of course. And look, it was it was good to see them celebrate because we did back in 2016 when when the dogs won it after a long drought, and um, and seeing the the passion and emotion that's uh, associated with winning one after such a long period of time, it was it was good to see the family uh, celebrate. Although I was very disappointed, it took me a couple of days to go and have a beer with my father-in-law just to let things calm down from from my end. But but other than that, it was uh, it was good to see. And look, yeah, look, I was. Um, uh, throughout throughout my sort of career, to answer your question at the start, no, it wasn't full time. I was still in year twelve when I first got drafted, so I was seventeen and um, the, got drafted in the when I was at the end of year eleven, and I completed year twelve at a school called Chanel College down in Geelong. So I was able to travel down by bus and and get um, and get back to back to training in my first year. We only trained two or three nights a week, and then once we sort of started to get through a couple of years, it was nineteen ninety seven that we we went pretty much full time. Terry Wallace. At the end of 96, we finished 15th and we started training in October. We're the first team to really start training really early in terms of a pre-season. 97, we jumped straight to a prelim final and missed a granny by a point. So, so I think that changed the nature of the competition because of how well we went uh, training a little bit earlier, being as fit as we did. And it was 97 that we started to go probably a bit more professional. There's some older guys that still had their jobs that they'd been in for you know 10 or, 10 or 12 years that they couldn't leave. But other than that, majority of us uh, started going full-time from from 1997 and we've seen a lot of changes since. So you were recruited from Williamstown and is it correct that you were brought up in Braidbrook? No, I was, I grew up in Hoppers Crossing. So Hoppers Crossing. yeah, so I did, I played, I played Hoppers Crossing footy club for, for three years in my juniors under 12s, 13s and 14s. Then I went to Williamstown and I played under 19s and reserves when I was, when I was 15. So I, I was, I was a bit soft and on the outside and I, I had a, when I was 15, I had a really bad sort of representative carnival and so from that point on, I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do with my footy because I just loved it so much. So I went and tried out for Williamstown, made their under-19 team. I don't think they knew I was 15 at the time, so that was that was probably a good thing. I was just this little little kid running around. Um, made their team. By the end of that year, I played four reserves games for Williamstown. And then I went and played for the Western Jets the following year in my in my draft year. So, so I was recruited from Williamstown was the club that I played for before the Jets. They always named that. Had a year at the Jets. So I went from... 
from 15, you know, not really um, looking like going anywhere to, to 17 being drafted and and having having my name called out and going to the Bulldogs. So it happened pretty quickly. But going back to the Western Jets after playing some senior footy and and some under 19 footy in a pretty tough tough environment, the old VFA back in the day, it was it was pretty ruthless. So I learned a lot. And playing against kids my own age again, I was I was really confident that I could handle myself uh, quite well, and it helped in my development. So it made actually made sense for you to play for the Western Bulldogs, given given your background. Yeah, well, that's it. Like growing up in Hoppers Crossing, it was just it was just easy. You know, I could stay at home. There were no issues. And when I was sort of going through that whole draft process, which is an interesting process, uh, a lot of clubs spoke to me. I, I actually thought it was either probably going to be the Adelaide Crows or, or Geelong that showed a fair bit of interest at the time. Geelong would have been just as easy in terms of that whole living at home side of things and not moving. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, I, I had a had a phone call with the Western Bulldogs the night before the draft. It literally went for 30 seconds. Mark Kleiman rang me. He said, look, if you're around tomorrow, would you come to the dogs? He didn't say when. And I said, yes. He goes, no worries. See you later. And hung up the phone. That was it. So um, my full conversation with them went for 30 seconds. And the next day I was I was called out. So um, I think yeah, it was obviously pretty exciting because it was the club I grew up barracking for. But certainly the draft back then certainly wasn't the uh, huge production it is today, though. No, it's not. We, we still had, there was still TV coverage. I remember being interviewed by Sandy Roberts. I wore the worst shirt in Australia on the day. I thought I looked that cool, but it was, it was a shocker looking back. <laughs> so yeah, there was, there was a smaller production. I got invited along to the draft. I didn't want to go because it, just that hesitation of, you know, not being drafted, you're sitting in a room with a group of guys and you, and you don't get your name called out. Uh, but I was, I was convinced to go along. I think my parents might've got a heads up that I was going to get drafted. So they, they convinced me to go and it was, and I'm wrapped they did because it was a, it was a great experience, but not like we see today with, um, with the full coverage, especially what we do at, at Fox footy and how we cover it at the moment. It's, uh, it's full on, but I think it's great the way we celebrate these young men sort of entering, you know, the world of AFL footy. So over that 30 years, Brad, what, what are the big changes that you've seen in the sport? Oh, look, there's, there's been many. There, there really has. Like, there, we, as we mentioned earlier, went from part-time to, to full-time full -time players. Um, the the on-ground warm-up was something we introduced at the Bulldogs. That was that was under Terry Wallace and starting to train, do our warm-ups on the ground rather than traditionally in the change rooms where you're in a little square box trying to get ready to, to go and play footy flat out. So that was a big change, certainly. And then and then just the way the game has, the game has evolved. I think the... The way that we see sport now around the world has really opened up and that's been a huge change that I think's had a, an effect on footy, some positive, some negative. I think the way the, the game went really defensive, it was it was getting hard to watch. I'm glad it's glad it's gone the other way and became really become really attacking again. And we're starting to see the skill set of players, the best players in the competition, being able to produce it. And I suppose you look at Gary Ablett Jr. or, or Patrick Dangerfield currently now, that even Gary Ablett Jr. was restricted with the way the game was played. We didn't see the, the skill set the whole time because everything was around the ball was so congested. We're now starting to open up. So we're seeing danger break out and we'll see Dusty as the year goes on now with him being back, start to play to his skill level, the bond and what he can what he can do in the Melbourne boys, Petrarca and Oliver are starting to drive out of contest now. So we're seeing the, the best skill set of these players um, come, come together. And there's been a lot of rule changes over that time, probably too many to go through, but... We are where we are in the game. Some are some are really good, really good introductions, and and some we're still working through. Okay, throw it open to the rest of the panel, Professor um, John. Um, I'm a mad Richmond supporter and love watching football today and things like that. And had the pleasure of actually watching you when Richmond weren't so good and 
as you said, you were a high-flying side in the late 90s. I think so many preliminary finals. It would have been great to see you in a grand final. Having the pleasure of watching you, I would have hoped a club like Richmond would have approached you during your playing years to see your availability. Can you tell us about some of the offers you may have got from other clubs during your decorated career? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good question. I I didn't get one to be perfectly honest with you, not one at all. I think it was because I would have loved to have seen you in a Richmond jumper. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't even tempted once by by another club, but I think it was because I was I was never. Uh, until I was age 30, which um, which I'll get to, I was never out of contract at the club. I was always signed, you know, two years in advance. I'd signed for a three-year deal, and then within a year and a half, I'm, I'm extending that. So they, I never came out of contract. And it was in that period that if you're in contract, you you were sort of seen as untouchable from okay. that point of view throughout Smart that. Smart move by Footscray. Yeah, so they, they made sure I, I was sort of always, I suppose, had that security behind me, which was, which was good. It wasn't until I was 30 that my contracts went to one year in a row, like one year at a time. So not like today, you can turn 30 and get a five-year deal. It's not a, yeah. it's not a bad scenario for the 30-year-olds <laughs> in the game, which I think is good to, to stay in the game as long as you can. It was a little bit different when I was at the age of 30 and it was one-year deals. I had four of them. And during, even during that period, um, there was certainly you know nothing from other clubs. And I wasn't going anywhere at that period either because we're in a great window. 08, 9 and 10 were playing you know prelim finals again. So it was a really yeah. good time to be around the club. I remember watching you and Rowan Smith, fantastic, fantastic players. But that leads to a very interesting next question. I'm kind of of this thing, players seem to be on an edge when they're coming out of contract or they're there and they can test the market and things like that. But say use Jake, Jake Stringer as an example. He seems to play his best football of the last year of his contract. I know that's a, contract, you know, yeah. and you've got to be careful about that. <laughs> what do you believe about long-term contracts for a club compared to keeping, say, players a bit edgy with shorter-term two-year contracts? Yeah, it depends on depends on you are to, to answer your question. The contract year, don't worry, that sits in the player's mind. So there's always you always play well in your contract year. Don't, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so you can so you can lock lock it away. The length of the length of deals it's a it's an interesting one because the the game can change so quickly in terms of um you know where where it sits financially so you look at someone look the buddy franklin deal i think's been a ripper um in terms yeah. of that. well and, no one thought he'd finish it did no, he? That, yeah exactly right and, he, and he's going to do that and and maybe he has missed out on a little bit along the way but it was such a good deal that that he wouldn't be be too mm. concerned I think I think five in my mind five years would be would be a max. You see, a lot of the players are smart these days through their management that when they're a bit younger they they'll only sign the two or three year deals to get them to free agency periods. Once yep. they get to those free agency periods, then they can then they maybe look to sign the five six year deals depending on their status in the game. So, but but five would be certainly the the max that I that I would look at. But it would be from the point of maybe twenty five. You know, you you work through if you. If you're becoming a star in the comp and you're between 20 and 25, I'd be signing those two and three year deals, get yourself into a position, and then launch a big contract um, off the back of that. Unless a club comes to you with a with an unbelievable offer, like the Bulldogs did to Tom Boyd to get him across, yeah, they paid him a lot of money, but in the end, he, he's part of a premiership at, at the club, so you've got to write it off as a success, even though he he didn't play consistently his best footy, although he didn't. Um, you know, have the total impact over that period of the contract. He still was important for you know. A Played a fantastic final series. Yeah, in yeah exactly right. You know, yeah. that, 
that prelim final he played, the grand final was awesome, but the prelim final he played when Roughhead went down with the eye injury, mm. that was, um, you know, that was that was huge. So, you know, that they're the sort of deals that can come about as well. And you don't blame a player for saying no to to that as well and, and leaving, you know, those yeah. Hail Mary deals that you go. Bad, you know, bad deal if you don't win the flag. Yeah. Sensational deal because he has a sensational final series. That's right. And everyone's talking about, I suppose, Jeremy Cameron in that fold. Not that he signed a big deal, but getting him to Geelong, it becomes really important now for for whether they can win one because he's such a superstar. Brad, can I just, uh, you're mentioning about the, um, the changes of the game since you've been playing, and obviously you're involved with the media. Something we've spoken on this show about, I'm interested in your thoughts, is the possibility of Australian rules going to the world, or at least going to America, or at least going to America as a broadcasting, streaming, television prospect. I just wonder what your thoughts are about the prospects of Australian rules football overseas. Yeah, look, it's 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 growing rapidly. Obviously, with with what we're involved in at the moment, we're we're in touch with all the all the markets over in you know USAFL is is quite big. AFL Asia's um, rapidly rapidly growing. Um, AFL Europe now are putting a lot more resources into growing the game um, throughout throughout Europe, and it's it's becoming more than just the expats playing, which is which is what you want. You know what I mean? And and we know the we know the. Um, the, the talent that's in Ireland that can certainly transition to our game really well. So the coverage side of things, I know that the I know that there is an international package you can get to watch, you know, every AFL, every AFL game. That's certainly that's certainly on offer now. I think there's around I think it was around 75,000 participants now around around the globe outside of um, outside of Australia. So the numbers are, are growing all the time and it's growing in both fields of the of the male and female game. So it's something that will continue just to, to evolve. You'd hope over the next 10 years where we're hitting some really good numbers in terms of what's being played overseas. And the coverage is the important part because that showcases the game. Which leads us to the next big question, which is the, uh, the next CEO of the AFL. Um, you may be constrained about what you can say, but we've certainly spoken about it. And, uh, and my profile would be a woman who has had a lot of um, background in broadcasting, streaming, that kind of thing. I just wonder whether you've got a feel for the sort of person you'd like to see, not not the person, but the kind of experience you'd like to see for yeah. the next AFL CEO. Oh, look, I'm I'm not I'm not constrained at all in what I can say about this. So that's a that's a good thing. Um, oh, look, it's 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 a combination. It it really is. I, I know that you know Andrew Dillon has done the time at the AFL. Like he's put in a, like you know 15 plus years to to get to a point to put him put his name up in in lights to become the next CEO and. And he would be a great CEO. So there's no question from, from, from that side of things. Kylie Rogers, I think, would be another great candidate because she's been in AFL House for some time. She understands footy. She's a, she, um, she's a, she's a passionate doggies um, supporter as well. So we, we love Kylie already. But, um, but outside of that, her skill set and the way that she would present would be sensational. She comes more from a commercial background. And Kylie Watson-Wheeler is another one that keeps getting thrown about. Now, she's the president of the dogs. Um, and... And I and I can only talk on the people that I know reasonably well because I know their I know their background and their and their skill set and the way that she's she's climbed the ranks at, at Disney is is quite um, quite impressive. So all of a sudden and she and she loves footy, so she's got the footy you know backing with her mind. She understands the game and understands the the processes that come with it. Obviously now running the Western Bulldogs extremely successfully, so she would slide into that type of role quite comfortably. It's just whether. Because she's once again, she, she's the type of person that has worked so hard to to get the role that she is now at, at Disney and, and absolutely dominating that 
does she want to leave that? You know what I mean? To come to come and put a hand up for for an AFL job when she's worked hard in her industry to get to the position that she she has. But I can understand why her name is being being brought up, and it's it's just that skill set. I think of the the thing for me is you've you've got to climb and you've got to work hard to to do that, and you've you've got to have adversity along the way, and you've got to have had some challenges along the way, so you've learned step through it to get to that position and. Running the AFL is a massive job, huge job. So, and it's in a good spot at the moment. So they take it over in good hands. It's just whether they can obviously maintain the the, the force that uh, the AFL has become. And Brad, my fast last question to you is, uh, uh, which I know our listeners want to know, you've had a lot of football tragedy in your life, the 1997 preliminary final. You were knocked out by John Barnes um, and your playing career was ended prematurely by running into a, um, uh, a drinks cart, if I, if I recall. Um, given all of those tragedies, why the hell are you so happy all the time? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a couple of those knocks of just, you know, <laughs> to smile all the time. I don't know what it is. Um, oh, look, to, to answer that part of the question, I just, this, this, this game is everything to me. You know what I mean? I'm just so passionate about it. And, yeah. and look, I got upset and I got disappointed and, you know, I lost five preliminary finals. I still think about that every day. The fact that I haven't, um, wasn't able to play in a, in a winning senior premiership. I won a reserve grade premiership with the Bulldogs, which was, which was awesome to be able to do that, but not, not at senior level. And yeah, look, I, I had a few knocks along the way and, and yeah, you ride the ups and downs. It's an emotional game, but, but generally I come out the other side going, okay, well, you know, I, I, I still love the game. None of those things have affected my, my passion for the actual sport. So that's probably why I'm up and about, you know, all, all the time. And, you know, I'm, I I don't know who decided to bring golf carts onto a footy field. I just I just don't know why that entered entered our game, seriously. But and it actually wasn't the hardest hit going around. So don't don't get me wrong here. It's just unfortunate I was coming back from an Achilles injury and I played one game and um and then got hit and there was a little box underneath it and my hit my Achilles and it swelled up and I, I missed I missed a month of footy by being hit by a golf cart, would you believe? So in my final year. So it was it was just one of those things that I was um, just in the wrong place at the time, mate. Uh, just a quick one, John. Um, those Butchgrave sides you played in preliminary finals, like you had fantastic side. Like, you know, you were the first, well, you, you, you were a team that ran everywhere. You know, Libertoro, West, yourself, Rowan Smith, Chris Grant. You had kind of everything. Hmm. What do you think you were missing in those five preliminary finals? to get you to a premiership side? Or did you think you had all the weapons? No, but no I can go through them quickly because it's it's quite easy. 97, we, we, 96, we finished 15th. We only beat Fitzroy that year. So we've come from nowhere. So maybe it was just that experience side of side of things as as well, of, of getting to a, a preliminary final with the with the group that we have. But we had an experienced team, reasonably experienced team in terms of age then um, to, to get to that point. And we let ourselves down. We kicked six points in that last quarter. All we had to do was kick one goal and we'd probably go through to a grand final. 98, we played Adelaide again, and it was um, one of those games that they just got on top early and we, we couldn't get ourselves back. We were more experienced. We were disappointed with with that one, of course. And 08, 9 and 10, 08 was the same as 97. We'd come from nowhere all of a sudden. We'd built to a prelim team. And then 09 was the one we let slip. Well, seven points up in the last quarter and Nick Rewalt kicks kicks a couple of goals to get the, the Saints over the line. And 2010, we'll beaten up. We just, three years of, it was probably longer than that. Three years of playing prelims, but it's the build-up prior to that with with the group that we had. We had some fantastic players oh. that took us there. You know, Cooney and Griffin and um, Gia and Murph and Hargrave and Lake and Gilby. Like 
this was a core group of guys that were excellent players that that got us to that point. Um, Dale Morris. So we'll just yeah, 2010 we'll just beaten up. Unfortunately, we had a lot of guys limping into that game, and we um, we couldn't uh, couldn't handle the Saints again. How do you judge success in a football side? Like when there's 18 clubs, you know, only one can have the ultimate success of winning in the flag. But if you're say like a Geelong, constantly playing preliminary finals now. I would regard that as being a successful era within a club. How do you find it being involved in that and going through something like that? Yeah, like I mean, all those preliminary finals, yeah. you, are a, you are a successful club. And if you're going to a sponsor, you're going, we're a top four side every, you know, constantly in this, this period. That's got to be successful, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it is because you... You're putting yourself in a position to to claim it, and as you said, only one can do it each each year. And we had an era where Hawthorne would win a few, or Richmond would win a few in a row, which is an unbelievable feat. Um, but mm. still having successful seasons is is you know it could be uh, it could be a Carlton this year who come outside the finals, make finals, win one. That's a successful season for them for where they're at. And yeah. then, obviously, it's the build it's the build from that. And we were the same. We we classed our seasons as successful, though. They were rated internally as successful seasons. We just didn't have that ultimate peak at the end of it of winning winning a premiership, which is what um, which is what everyone's you know in it to achieve. So yeah, no no question. And I'm not just saying it because I didn't win one. I, I truly believe that if I was a coach at a club and we got to a prelim final and were bowed out, I would still class that as a successful season. Yeah. Positive with the group, and then you'd learn from what's it going to take to take the next step. And sometimes it's just a bit of luck, you know. Come come to a end of the year with the, with the right players fully fresh and on fire, you, yep. you might make it through. So it's it's a whole season that that you judge it on and then you've got the ultimate peak, which is obviously winning the winning the premiership. And could that be like a footscray at the moment? Well, yeah, yeah well... Yeah, well, 16, yeah. they were good. And, yeah, you know, they're, and they're, they're, they dropped off, off after, after 16, didn't play finals for a couple of years, built back up again, yeah. missed it, and then they've dropped away again. When you look at Melbourne that have just won the grand final and their levels are, uh, have even gone higher again. And yep. the outstanding team in the comp. So that's where the fluctuations are in the in the season. The Bulldogs haven't started well this year and they've got a lot of work to do to, to turn it around. All right, uh, Brad, let's fast forward to today. You and your wife have started Xena Sport, specialising in making protective vests for women. Can you tell us a bit about how that started and what it's all about? Yeah, so it's a, my, my wife's idea, Donna. She um, came up with the, the idea around... Um, a protective vest for females playing any type of contact sport. Um, it can actually be worn in, in any sport, but um, so it's got breast and rib protection. And, and it started because Donna was um, just having a coffee with one of her best friends who had four girls playing competitive sport. And it was just that talk around how do you protect the girls in that adolescent period um, coming into com um, competitive sport. So that's how it started for us. We did a lot of research and, and design over three and three and a half years. We had to make sure that, you know, the padding that we're putting in our vest was, was the could absorb a, a high level of contact. It's one of the best in the in the world. We made sure we researched that, and it's extremely light and it's not seen under the jumper. So it's not a vest that you put on and bulky and and all that sort of stuff. You you put it on, it's not seen. It only weighs 160 grams, and it took a lot of time to to get it right to make sure that when the girls put it on, they saw an instant, they had an instant positive reaction to to wearing the vest that it didn't restrict any of their movements in the game, and and away they go. And a lot of our feedback is based on. Um, the, you know, a lot of the girls don't even realise they've got it on, which is great. They know they've got the element of protection there, 
but it's not um, not restricting their movement or performance whatsoever. So it's been good. We started selling two years ago, just the week before COVID hit, but that was that was okay. We just sort of fluctuated around Australia, where where some states were going better than better than others. But the last two years, we've had amazing feedback. We've got so many sports that are that are wearing it. Obviously, we love we love our footy and, and the growth of the AFLW and community sport and footy is huge. Obviously, soccer and and basketball are, are two sports that. That have you know more contact than what some people may even suggest out there, which is um which has been interesting to uncover. Lacrosse is another one which we've got a, a great partnership with Lacrosse Australia and Softball Australia. And one of our biggest achievements was being at the Tokyo Olympics with the um with the in the Paralympics with the goalball team through the Blind Sports uh, Blind Sports Australia, and they wore our vest and 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 it was brilliant. They performed so well and they had their best performance. And it's gone away from wearing the hard plastics that they used to, to wearing something that's that's light and. Um, still has you know great absorption when they're diving on the ground and opening up their rib cage to stop you know a, a couple of kilo ball that's being thrown at them. So it's um and they, and they can't see while it's coming. So it's that was a huge thrill for us. So we've we've been involved as I said with so many sports, even even as much as the surf rowers in the in the surf in Sydney are, are wearing it now because if they get tipped out of the boat on the with the oars are hitting them in the ribs or the boat will crash down on them and they're they're wearing our vest in the in the surf, which is which has been great. So it's 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 evolving. We've had two years of just testing the waters a little bit, and now we're we're full steam ahead, which is um which has been great. So it's uh, but I, I see it's a bit of a bit of a game changer. I think you'd be like I am. We're we're great supporters of women's sport, women's football on this show. But I think you, even you'd be amazed at the physicality uh, of the women's game as it's developed through the AFLW and women's football. Um, and I, I think that injuries, chest, breast, rib injuries. Uh, are a real concern for a lot of girls and their parents. Um, so I, I see this as a game change. Ha, well, obviously, you do as well. But um, how do you see the women's game uh, accepting your product? Oh, no, it's been accepted extremely well. And um, I think because we put a lot of work into the way that it looks, and now we've even introduced a youth fest for the 7 to 12-year-olds coming through and starting off as, as right. well, so that you know they're mm. starting out in sport and it might be footy taking the chess mark or it might be you know soccer chesting or basketball getting hit under the ring so there's all elements that that the youth fest comes into comes into play as well and look we we love it we absolutely you know we've, we we love the development and the growth it is fierce the footy is fierce but all, all the sports are actually pretty fierce they, they have a fair fair crack um the the girls and and it's it's the way the game should be played you're out there you're competitive you're, you're having a crack and and so our best aids in those contact things, aids in recovery or scratching. And, and there's so many reasons why the girls are wearing it because you've got some that are starting out in sports, some that are, that are really competitive and, and have a good old crack, some that have got their own health issues. So they're, they're wearing it to protect their ribs that have been broken in the past or, or breast concerns that they have had. A lot of girls either have implants, so they're protecting those. And there's just a whole range of things that, that Donna has been able to uncover through her communication over the last two years as to the reason why the... The girls are wearing the vest so it's not so much you know just put it on because you're a fierce player or you're you're a bit nervous about contact coming your way there are many other reasons and returning mums is the other one as well because we've got a lot of mums out there that are you know had had some kids and or had a child and and are, are still breastfeeding and want to return to sport so they'll they'll put the vest on and it's even gone into the medical side of things we've even got some teachers that work in um certain fields that um that wear, wear our vest as well. So police force, it's it's really been exciting to um to uncover things outside of sport as well. So Brad, for any of uh, our viewers, listeners who are watching, who might be interested in this product, uh, where can they get it? 
Yeah, so jump on. We're, we're, we're online. So it's www.zenasport.co, just C-O at the end. And our Instagram is zenasport underscore co. And we've got the Facebook as well. And, and look, you can go on there and, and have, have a look. You know, our, our email is info at zenasport.co. So you can drop me a drop me a, an email as well. And we can um, we certainly can discuss. We've got some great deals out there for the individual, but clubs as well. A lot of clubs are... Uh, uh, are getting the the vest for a lot of the age groups coming through so we're able to work with with the clubs also so it's it's been exciting as i said we, we absolutely love it we're passionate about you know the growth in women's sport we're passionate about supporting the girls in in their performance so you know it's the elite girls but then there's also the 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 community base where they've got to get up monday and go to school or go to work or or things like that and if we can support the the girls to recover better so they feel a bit fresher on a on a monday morning it's it's a big bonus well, I think, as uh, the judge said, uh, Brad, uh, a real game changer. Yeah, it's been exciting. It really has. And look, we're only starting. We're, we're, we're literally two years into our journey. So, but as we said, we're, we're going full steam ahead now. And um, hopefully we can really, you know, connect with as many people as we can to, to show them the vest and, and give them that experience of putting it on. Okay, Brad, listen, uh, I know you've got to go. Thanks very, very much for giving us your time today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we wish you all the best in the media and also with uh, Xena Sports. Uh, thank you. Thanks for your time, guys. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Sports Fan Radio podcast. If you like what you've been listening to, then try one of our other podcasts. You can also subscribe to the show and tell a friend or family about us. You can get more Sports Fan Radio on our YouTube channel. <laughs>